We have a, a longtime friend. I won't say he's old, but he's a longtime friend, Dan Hill. Uh, Dan has pastored in a number of churches. Weren't you in Hope, Arkansas? Yeah, he's a good thing that came out of Hope, Arkansas. <laughs> he also he pastored from for 20 years at Southwood Bible Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A number of you went to some of these conferences there back in the day. And Eric Bush back here uh, in the back is the current pastor of Southwood. Uh, he is, served in the Navy Reserves and uh, also a graduate of Arizona State and went through Dallas Seminary and uh, has an MABS from Dallas and a Ph.D. from California Graduate School of Theology. They have been working in terms of short-term mission mission trips for many years, and in 2010 they went to Liberia in West Africa to uh, get infected with Ebola. (laughs) But this is how Dan lives his life. He was home on sabbatical when the Ebola outbreak occurred, so... He doesn't always accomplish his objectives. <laughs> okay, so he is here. He's going to be speaking to the topic of African tribal religion and its influence on American culture and the American church. So, Dan. Thank you, Robbie. I do remember on one of those short-term trips, uh, Robbie came up to Southwood and taught for us while we were away. I'm not on. (laughs) (laughs) Testing, testing. Okay, I'm on now. Thank you for that offer, John, but I'll pass. (laughs) Anyway, as I was saying, I remember on one of those trips that we took, um, Robbie came up to Southwood and taught for us, and I always appreciated that. We have been taking uh, short-term mission trips for about the last um, uh, 25 years. And uh, then in 2010, really it was God the Holy Spirit who led us to go to uh, Liberia, West Africa, full-time. And when we got there, we were able to work, start working with uh, Sudan Interior Missions. And I think that as I look around, I know many of you have been on short-term mission trips to to developing countries. By the way, that's the PC word for a third-world nation now. We're told on the mission field, you don't call it a third-world nation. You call it a developing nation. But I know many of you have been to third-world nations. (laughs) And I I, I look out here, and of course, I did a lot of travel with Jody back in the 90s. And Herman, you and I have been to Zambia and and, uh Ghana and Nigeria and Liberia and flew on Ethiopian Airlines, which we'll never do again. And uh, John and I have been to Russia and we've been to Cuba. We've been there. I look around and I see a lot of people. Some of you are on the mission field. Some of you spend a lot of time there. But one thing I'm sure that all of you have experienced is that when you go into a different culture, you see things that are different. And if you're just there for a short time, even maybe for uh, two weeks or even up to a month or even a few months, you might just see them as just cultural differences. That's the way I always saw them. We always just saw the people in Africa as they do things that were quite different than what we would think that they should do or that we would expect them to do. And we would say, well, it's just their culture. But after going and living in Africa uh, for five years and really getting to know the people and getting very involved with the people, I started to see it as something more. It is actually something that comes from their traditional religions, their tribal religions. Even if they have abandoned the religions, they still bring principles, they still bring traits of that into their Christian experience. 
And so I started to see things in light of that. And then I was very surprised as I would come back to the United States on home leave to see many of these things manifesting themselves and exhibiting themselves here in the United States. I think we can easily see that there is an influence of tribal religion on the American culture. And I can just share a little bit of that with you because as you look at these slides, uh, these are Americans, these are Africans. Uh, they not a whole lot of difference. Uh, the first time I ever saw ears that were expanded with the plugs was down in a, in a village in Kenya. And, and I thought that was just uh, fascinating. I saw that and I was just amazed. I'd never seen anything like that before. That was back about 2002. And now, of course, here in the United States, you see it all over. Even the guy I sat next to on the plane coming here on Tuesday, he had, he had earlobes that were probably about that big. And so we're seeing that type of influence. You're seeing uh, facial scarring. You're seeing facial uh, decorating. You're seeing people involved in piercing, uh, very similar to what you would see in Africa. You also see uh, people decorating themselves in many ways. There's just a picture, again, an American and an African. And then you begin to see even the scarring. And, of course, a lot of the scarring occurs there on children that are very, very young. And isn't that a wonderful thing to do to your child? And, of course, to female girls and young children, they mutilate them genitally. And so we have that as a problem. Then you have piercings. You see that, very similar. You see, and all you would have to do is go down to the mall, hang around the mall for a while, go to any place where, where young people hang out, and you'll see this here in Houston or even in smaller towns. And then even in a more sophisticated way, you might say we see the influence of African fashion. Uh, there's, there's actually African Fashion Week, L.A., Chicago, New York. And so we see this influence of African fashion. And um, I, I, I've, since I started collecting these pictures, some of you have sent pictures to me. And uh, I, I, I had to include these two because Connie sent me one of these and Rick Smith sent me another one. I just wonder, I didn't know whether to put American or whether I should put, is this your future board member? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I just, I, I don't want to keep that up for too long because I, I know it's kind of hideous to look at. But we can see this influence in the culture. But what's interesting is I think we can also see this influence within the church. Now, when we look at this and begin to ask why, we, we recognize that it all comes down to a difference in worldview. And uh, I've, I've, I've worked with some of my friends who are in New Tribes Missions and John Cross at different times, and we've actually come up with about 12 different worldviews. But I'd actually just like to, sh to simplify it for our purpose and to look at two worldviews. And when we see a worldview, we recognize that this is two ways of thinking, that it's two worldviews, that it, our worldview influences our culture, our worldview influences our thinking, our worldview in, will influence how we think about God. And our understanding of, of worldview, our understanding of the fact that there's different worldviews, especially different than ours, will allow us to better understand missiology, cross-cultural missions, Immigrants, which I know here in Houston, you have a large immigrant in Houston and uh, refugee population, uh, influences in your church because many of the people that are coming into your church will come in from a different cultural background. Non-grace thinking in programs and activities, many of these come from 
uh, tribal religions and that Eastern worldview. And then last but certainly not least, millennials. We always try to figure millennials out, and I don't know, when you're getting towards 70 years old, it's hard to figure them out. Uh, you see what they think, and you see who they're voting for and who they're supporting, and you go, what, what's going on? I, I think that maybe by the end of the afternoon, you'll have some answers to that, because I think understanding uh, Africa tribal religion will actually help you understand American millennials. Now, basically, as I said, we're going to look at two worldviews, a Western view and an Eastern view. The thing to remember is the way that we think we are in the minority, Most of the world does not think the way you and I think. So when you meet somebody from a different part of the world, realize that they they don't think the same way you do. And when you think of the world as a whole, realize that, that for every one of you, there's two of them out there that think a completely different way. There is an Eastern worldview, and there is what we would embrace as a Western worldview. And, and to see this simply, I could describe it, first of all, with just looking at two circles. First of all, in our Western worldview, we put ourselves at the center. Now, that is not in a selfish way or a self-centered way. It is kind of a way that uh, Charlie Clough explained it this morning. We want to understand things logically. We want to figure things out. We want to know why this and why that. And we even bring that same view, worldview, into the study of the Bible. We want to see things progressively. We want to see things systematically. We want to see things categorically. We want to see things dispensationally. If, if we want to find out how does this verse in the New Testament fit with this verse in the Old Testament, we want to see these things logically explained to us. And, of course, logic is a good Greek word. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, logikos. Uh, it's, it's, uh, that's where Paul says that submitting ourselves to God is a logical thing to do, and it is a logical thing to do. God is a God of logic, and we embrace that logic. We want to know if our car breaks down, we want to know why. If, if something goes wrong, if we get sick, we want to know what did we do wrong. But you see, in most of the world, they have spirits at the center. Now, now sometimes they won't, they won't really talk about there being spirits, evil spirits, demonic spirits. But in their thinking, spirits are guiding everything and influencing everything. So unlike, instead of seeing things logically, they see things as the spirits working in their lives. Now, this could be as subtle as what happened in our home one time in Liberia when uh, the young woman who later on became like our Liberian daughter, she was a widow with three kids, she was in our kitchen, and I walked in and all of a sudden I saw one of Pat's good knives in the trash can. And, and I said, Queen, I said, why is this uh, knife in the trash can? And she said, knife cut me twice. She said, knife has a bad spirit. Now, when you're in the kitchen, I'm sure that every one of you, men and women alike, when you've been in the kitchen, I do this a lot when I'm in the kitchen because I'm off thumbs, I cut myself. And I usually say, I cut myself with the knife. With this worldview, with an Eastern worldview, with a spirit-centered worldview, they would say, the knife cut me. And if it cuts you too often, you get rid of it. If you get sick, it's because a spirit made you sick. Somebody put an evil uh, curse or a hex on you. 
If your if your motorbike breaks down, it's not because you never changed the oil and you never had it serviced, which most Africans never do. Uh, it's because an evil spirit got into your motorbike. If you get a bad grade in school, it's not because you didn't study. It's because there was an evil spirit that was making sure you get a bad grade. John likes that. <laughs> but perhaps it is because they are so accepting of this spirit world that they also become basically fertile ground for missionaries. We have no problem in Africa talking to people about spiritual things because they think in terms of spiritual things. And we can very easily talk to them about the true spirit, the Holy Spirit, the true spirit. We've God the Father, God the Son, and, and, and they don't reject it. Yeah, in, in Africa, it's nothing to walk up to somebody and say, do you go to church? Are you a Christian? Which we always love to do. And we find that, that they're very open. And in the five years that we were there, we were able to teach a lot of people a lot of grace. And pretty soon they began to get away from this tribal view. But let me give you just a real quick uh, look at Africa tribal religion, just under a number of points. And I'll have to go through these kind of quickly. I know they're a part of your paper. But um, as as we look at them... We have to realize, first of all, that even as modern education, even as commerce increases in Africa and other third world countries, that Africa tribal religion is solidly entrenched in the lives of millions of people. Even those who say that they are Christians or Muslims or even the urban non-religious people in third world countries will still hold on to some of these traditional beliefs. I think I came face-to-face with this uh, about a year after I was in Liberia because one of the pastors I was working with, uh, he had a conflict in his church. And so like many of the pastors, eventually uh, they many would come to me and they would say, well, you've been a pastor, how would you deal with this? And the way he would deal with it, would he would have to deal with it according to Matthew chapter 18. All of you know that. If your brother offends you, go to him in secret. And if he listens to you, you have won a brother. If he doesn't, then go back with two or three and on and on. I said, this is what Jesus says is the way you should handle the problem. Now, this man was a pastor, had a big church you know, a few hundred people. And he looked at me and he says, well, I couldn't do that. And I said, well, why not? He says, that's, that's not the way we do it in our culture. And I says, well, I'm, I'm really not too concerned about that. I said, uh, Pastor, this is what God says you're supposed to do. This is what the Word of God says you are supposed to do. And he says, well, I can't do that. It's not according to our culture. Our culture would do it differently. And I said, are you? Aren't you going to obey what the Bible has to say? Just accept it by faith and do it? And he says, no, I can't do that. I won't do that. And I realized then that even if you ask this man if he had any involvement with Africa tribal religion, with the tribal religion of his tribe or his family or his ancestors, he would tell you no. But there was still evidence of that type of thinking and what he was doing as a pastor of a church. They might say, well, it's our culture. But when it comes to culture, when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to what they bring with them from their traditional beliefs, those traditional beliefs take precedent over what the Word of God has to say. And that was like opening up a window for me because I started to see that in many ways, and it gave me a new way, a whole different approach to problems to realize that one of the greatest problems in third world countries with Christians is that they do not accept the authority of the Bible. 
Oh, they'll talk about the Bible being inerrant and being inspired. They love the Bible. Oh, we love our Bible. We love Bible study. But do you see it as an authority? And that's a problem that we may also have here in the United States. Let me just share with you some of these things. I'm going to go through them quickly because you have them as part of your notes. In Africa tribal religions, uh, they have few holy books. The important beliefs are passed down generation to generation, usually oral. Uh, they're passed down orally. No conversion or proselyting. Therefore, they're very tolerant and accepting of you. They'll, they'll say, well, that's good for you, but they, they will accept you. They won't reject you. Uh, God is distant and not actively involved in man. And that's a very important point we'll get to later on. Man cannot reach out to God directly. Also, man must deal through priests or what we might call uh, spirits. They have zoes, they have shamans, they have witch doctors, medicine men, priests. Uh, you have to deal through them or deal through, uh, through nature and nature's spirits or nature's gods or ancestral spirits or tribal elders in order to reach God. Uh, there are spirits of both good and evil, and, and they'll definitely recognize that. They also are spirits everywhere, the spirits that are in person, in trees and rivers. And as we talk about uh, uh, global uh, warming and we talk about changes, that uh, even Charlie mentioned the idea about there being, being spirits in all these trees. And I mean, have you hugged your tree today? This type of thing. And they see tree, spirits and animals, rocks, rivers, mountains, even in automobiles and other personal effects. If your automobile doesn't work, it might be because it had a bad spirit. Uh, idolatry in the form of spirit and ancestor worship. One of the problems that a lot of Christian pastors have over there with the traditional weddings is many and almost all the tribes, they include prayers to dead ancestors, asking the dead ancestors to help this new couple. And I had to deal with a lot of pastors on, look, how do you tell the family, how do you tell the people you can't do that, you're not doing that, and teach them some along the way. You also have priests, those medicine men, and they can bestow power on people, wealth on people, but they can also bestow a curse. You don't like, uh, you know, Mike, you don't like John Hintz? It's understandable, by the way, but anyway, you don't like... You, you, you go to a medicine man, you pay him some money, he'll, he'll, he'll speak a curse against him. And, and then when he, when, when he has trouble, you can stand back and say, that's because I had him cursed. And so that happens a lot. Sacrifice involving the slaughter of animals, that occurs. You also have holy men that are able to tell the future. And so people go to them and they pay the money to find to, to, to get the future. Now, traditional healers. Now, this is something you have to be careful with because there are some of these healers that really do know some things about herbal medicine and things like that, and they do a good job. But others also use magic and incantations to heal. And then prohibitions. They don't have sins, but they have taboos, things that are cultural they are cultural violations, uh, things that they don't do in that tribe. And that would be what we might call sins. And then a holy man can bring a curse upon others. And then they have lots of talisman, lots of things that represent ancestors, animals, and other powers. Now, this is true of Africa tribal religion. And that's, of course, what I have personal contact with. I have personal knowledge of that. But we can also see that these principles are found in certain measure with two-thirds of the people in the world, including Africans, Asians, Middle Easterners. There's even some things I might have mentioned that might remind you of Islam. South and Central America, I was in, uh, Bob, I was in your church, and when I was teaching this there, uh, I can't remember her name, but she's from Brazil. 
she came up to me afterwards. She said, you just described all my family in Brazil. And I thought, well, that, that goes to show you that there's not a lot of difference. We see this with the American Indian teaching out in Arizona. I'm always having people come up to me and say, what you're talking about is just the same with the American Indian, with the, ab- with the aborigine. Plus, here in America, we're an immigrant, an immigrant nation. And we have many people coming to our shores who are bringing this type of culture with them. And more critically, they are bringing this culture into your churches. They are bringing this thinking. Even though they would say they're Christians, they have nothing to do with their tribal religions, they've abandoned that, they might have even renounced that, there's still some of that thinking going on. But we know that when it comes to the worldview that we're often told that we are not to be conformed to the world. Romans 12.2, often mentioned already in this conference. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, of course, that's through the teaching of the Word. And we know that as you learn the Word, there are often things that you have to say, well, that's what I thought, that's what I taught, that's what I was taught, that's what my daddy taught me, but that's not true. I have to abandon it and go with what my Heavenly Father is teaching me. And then with that, we can prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, whenever I talk about Africa tribal religion and some of the things I've witnessed and some of the things I've seen, I'm, I'm, I'm asked if it's real. And I think it would be wrong to say it's not real. Because we know that Satan is, is, the, is the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince of this world. Satan is um, alive and well on the planet Earth. I like that phrase. I might coin that. Um, we know that, that this is the devil's world, and his demons are involved in the affairs of man, and I believe his demons are the spirits of ATR. And there are many things that I've heard about that, that I just kind of shake my head at. Now, some things I know are totally impossible. Uh, there is a belief in Liberia that a person can enter, for example, a bird, change themselves into a bird. They can fly from one end of the country to the other end of the country, and they have to because the, the uh, roads are so bad. But they, they, they can fly. They can then turn themselves back into man, kill somebody, and then fly all the way back. I sit there and tell them, no, 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 no. But there's other things that I know that, that it is the demons that are involved. Demons can influence in the unbeliever. They can harm the unbeliever. They can have influence over tribes and over nations The spirit world is real. And because the African people think so much in terms of spirits, Satan does not have to be subtle. You know, here in America, he needs to be kind of subtle. He needs to kind of work a little bit under the surface. But over there, he can just work out in the open. Because people are always talking about spirits working, good spirits, bad spirits, this, that, and everything else. But with all that, we know... 1 John 4, 4. And that is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And the one who is in us is the Holy Spirit. I had a weekly radio program on ELWA radio, which beamed throughout Liberia, even into a bit of Guinea, Sierra Leone. And on that radio program, at one time, I started, I started challenging the Zoes. Now, that's what we call the witch doctors in Liberia. And I challenged them. I said, listen, if you think you're so powerful, bring it on. I said, hex me, curse me, do whatever you can to me. I said, because I know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
the first time I said that on the radio, I walked out of the studio at 9 o'clock, and there were two of my pastor friends there waiting for me, and they were going, Dad, Dad, we've got to protect you. We're not, we are not leaving your side. They're going to kill you. They're going to kill you. And I said, bring it on. I let them protect me for a couple of days, you know, and then they got tired of that. But uh, I was later on told that I had curses, incantations. They even had a few chickens killed, sacrificed in order to bring a hex against me. And yet I did not have any awareness of their evil. Now, I didn't do that to, to promote myself. I did that because I wanted my many, my many Liberian Christian friends to know that they did not have to fear these guys. Because one thing about tribal religion of any kind in any place, it's a religion that is built upon fear. It is built upon fear. Now, when we begin, we can see, as I think that we evidenced and showed, that you can see this in the culture. But, but now let's take it to the church. And I want to look at four things with you. I want to look at tribalism. I want to look at animism. I want to look at fatalism. And I want to look at syncretism. Now, tribalism, just to do this quickly, church tribalism is basically develops when people identify themselves more by their relationship to the tribe, the church, than their relationship to Christ. And, and the church becomes a closed tribe of people. Tribalism in a church results in turning inward, exclusivity, arrogance towards those on the outside, and an indifference towards the outside, an indifference when it comes to missions, a thinking that they are right and everyone else is wrong, and an absence of grace thinking. Now, it's interesting that with a lot of young people, this is becoming a very common term. I was talking with a young man from Fredericksburg. And uh, Mark told me, he said, well, do you know there's a lot of uh, writing now towards the millennial Christians about finding your tribe and, and find, instead of finding your church. It's, it's finding your tribe. And I said, that type of tribalism just turns people inward. And you can find a lot more about tribalism. Just go on Google and just uh, 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 Google church tribalism where the church is a tribe. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that, but I think you can see the danger of that. But what I want to look at, I want to spend some time with animism. Now, animism is the belief that there's a spirit world and a physical world. Well, that's okay. That's good. But that one can control or affect the physical world through the spiritual world. And it becomes a mechanical system that believes if one does or says a certain thing, prayers, incantations, sacrifices, curses, charms, rubbing a, to- a, a, a talisman one way or the other, then the spirit world is impacted and this has a direct effect on the physical world. The animistic worldview recognizes good and evil spirits whose favor must be bought, earned, stolen through power or deceit. The, the, the spirit evil can be appeased or used for self or against others. Some people have the capacity or the power to coerce the spirits to do their bidding. These are the shamans, the witch doctors, and the zoos. Now, there's two parts to this. One part, the simplest way to look at it, is uh, in the name it and claim it phenomena. Uh, let me give you uh, the words of, of Kenneth Hagin. Kenneth Hagen, you know, he's now with the Lord, and so he's probably all straightened out, but he used to be on my, on my, on my left flank up in Tulsa. Uh, uh, we had Oral Roberts on the right flank and Kenneth Hagen on the, on the left flank. But he wrote, Then the Lord himself appeared to me. That kind of shakes you up right there, right? 
and, and said, if anybody anywhere takes these steps, he will receive whatever he wants from me or from God the Father. He later added, no matter what your relationship is with Christ, apply the law of faith and you will have the results. It's a formula into which everyone can put everything they want, health, new job, a house, a car, everything you want. In other words, just speak the right words and God will have to do your bidding. And, of course, we can see who's in control. This same type of thinking can also be seen in talisman. Now, my wife likes wearing a, a, a necklace with a cross on it, but she doesn't wear it for good luck. She wears it because it was a gift from somebody special. How about a person who keeps a Bible open in their house? I remember walking into a house of some folks one time, and they had a beautiful carved wooden stand that they got from the Holy Land, of course, and their Bible was opened on it. And I said, well, that's just a beautiful stand and a beautiful Bible. And they said, yes, it keeps the demons away from our home. And I went, ha, yeah. And I looked at them. They weren't laughing. <laughs> you ever do that? Oh, my. They really believed it. Keep a Bible open there to keep the demons away. Having religious art for good luck, luck for charms and safety. I remember I went to Arizona State back in the day when some guy wrote a song that said, I don't care whether it rains or freezes, I got the plastic Jesus on the dashboard of my car. How about St. Christopher Meadows? Hex signs, rabbit's foots, horseshoes, four-leaf clovers, crossing fingers, pentagrams, a mazua. Ah, I mentioned that one time, and I had a woman say, well, I got a mazoo on my doorpost, and I like it, and I, I think it get, brings me good luck. And I said, pagan. <laughs> <You know? laughs> this can even extend to quoting a Bible verse. I remember back years ago, there were I ran into somebody that said, uh, do you believe in 1 John 1, 9? Oh, yeah, I believe in 1 John 1, 9. And I quote it every, every time I get out of fellowship. I said, well, do you do it? He says, no, I quote it. People who quote a Bible verse, or they take a Bible verse and they hold on to it. Quoting verses. The belief that inanimate objects have souls or spirits. You see this commercial for the insurance company? Hi. I had a car. My car was wonderful. I even named it. His name was Brad. But then I wrecked Brad. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, people name cars thinking they really have souls or spirits. We Oh, how about this? Have you ever wished upon a star? And let me ask you, did the dish really run away with the spoon? <laughs> the blessing of inanimate objects. I was like that one. Uh, the, the Episcopal Church on, on one Sunday, and I think it's in May, they always have the day that you bring your pet to church and they bless the, they bless the pets. I always thought that would be a fun day to go to, to, go to that church because I, I love dogs. I mean, I think that would be great to have all these dogs around. Probably, but they probably bring some cats too, though. I don't know. But uh, anyway, the, the idea of I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless my pet, and the idea. Now, this isn't. I've had I've had dogs that I've loved, and I prayed for my dogs that God would keep them safe and keep them healthy and all that. That's fine. But I'm talking about praying for it in the sense that you think it has a spirit in it. Praying for your house because you think your house has spirits in it, not just to keep your house safe. We do that. But actually thinking that these objects or animals have spirits. This also includes performing rituals that will result in God's blessing or granting a certain favor. How many times have you heard somebody, well, I think if I go to church this Sunday, God's going to give me a good week. That's animism. That's the idea that I can do something to uh, make God bless me. 
the idea that, that if my pastor prays for me, it's a lot better than if I pray for myself. And, of course, in our technological age, we've really got this down to a great science because now we can just go on Facebook and we can click like or share. And we know if we do that enough that Jesus will bless you. We also have venerated worship of the dead. That's part of animism. As I mentioned, the people believe in ancestral spirits. Now, praying to dead saints is obviously a part of this, but also thinking that uh, Grandpa is watching over me. No, Grandpa is not watching over you. If Grandpa is a believer, he's fully involved with the Lord Jesus Christ. A belief that a dead relative is helping you in life. and Or uh, have you ever had anybody tell you they feel the presence of their dead mother or father? And just a note on Islam. I include Islam as an animistic religion. And some people give me a little blowback on that now and then. But if you think about it, what do they do? They do rituals thinking that Allah is going to bless them. Do they have a personal God? No. Do they believe in uh, in spirits working? Oh, yes. Every time they pray, what's the end of their prayers in the mosque? They turn to the left. They turn to the right. They're talking to the good spirit and the bad spirit and asking that the good spirit help them defeat the bad spirit. And then they're all involved in works. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, Allah will bless you. And that's animism. You know, we might just call it legalism, but I think it's a lot more deep-rooted than that. And so we, we have animism. A prime, uh, <clears throat> a more subtle aspect of animism is a belief regarding blessing or success. And I think this is very subtle. Uh, ATR and other forms of animism believe that there is a limited amount of good and evil in the world. Because remember what I said about God or their gods They create the world, and then they step away. So what they created is finite. It is limited. And so in their creation view, everything is finite. In finances, what do we call that? Pie theory. Pie economics. If you have a big slice of the pie, that means somebody else will not have as big a slice of pie. And therefore, your slice of the pie being just way too big for you is taking away from my slice of the pie. I really believe as Christians we need to believe in not just trickle-down economics but trickle-down everything because everything is coming from above and trickling down to us. I think James even said something like that. We believe that God is actively involved in the world and that He is ultimate in what He wants to do and that He is, is unlimited. And our Western view will reflect this. We even write in our founding national documents that all men are created equal, and that not only means equal, but with equal opportunity, because that opportunity is unlimited. And so we celebrate a person who has gone from poverty, believing that the success he has had is perhaps success that we can have. We all believe, as John Kennedy said in 1963, and he was the one that first said it, that a rising tide lifts all ships. Later, of course, often quoted by Ronald Reagan. But so we hear of something like Dr. Ben Carson or some other Horatio Alger story, and we applaud. You see, we not only mourn with those who mourn, but we rejoice with those who rejoice. That was one of the biggest problems I had in Africa. Not just in Liberia, but in other countries. 
of people who were really good with mourning with those who mourn. I often said, if you know, if I ever want somebody to feel bad for me, call call librarians. They'll come and they'll cry and they'll wail and they'll feel bad and everything else. But if I ever have success, don't let anybody know. Because they they get envious and they get jealous. To the point where some of them will even kill each other. Two people that were good friends while I was there, they were killed when they started having some success. One, they believe, was killed by a business competitor. He was poisoned. And the other was killed by a family member when he inherited something that this family member thought that he should inherit. In Liberia, the the policemen hitchhike to get to work and to get to where they're on duty. They don't have vehicles. They don't have motorcycles. They don't allow them to carry guns either. And it's not because they're such a pacifistic society. It's because they don't trust the policemen. <laughs> but as they were on the street corner hitchhiking, and what they would do is they stand there, and hitchhiking is not done like that over there. It's just done like that. They stand there, and they just wave their hand down. And uh, I just always pick them up. And I tell them, I say, okay, now you remember me. <laughs> when you want to pull me over down there at the junction, you re- you remember who I am. And I picked up this uh, man one time, and, and he re- recognized soon after I picked him up that, that I was on the radio, and he actually listened to my radio program. And he, then he was quiet, and he said, can I tell you something? And I said, yes, go ahead. He said, I won the lottery. And by that, he meant he won the embassy lottery that gave him and his family pass to the United States. He won, he won a visa. And when he got here, he would get a work permit. Now, he said, I, I'm, I'm leaving for the United States this Friday. This was like on a Wednesday. And I said, oh, well, that is great. I said, but, you know, what is, your, what is the rest of your family? You know, parents and brothers and sisters think about this. He says, I haven't told them. And I said, why not? He said, if I tell them, somebody in my family might kill me. I said, really? He said, yes. And I said, well, how about at work? Are you, are, you know, have you told him that? He says, oh, no, I would not tell him at work. He said, I told him that I had to do something Friday afternoon, and I have the only relative that I can trust who's picking up my wife and my son and myself and taking us to the airport. I will call. I will write the police station after I get to America and tell them I quit. Because I can't trust it. Because they will not rejoice with me. But you see, if you only believe there's just X amount of blessing in the world, you're not going to rejoice with others who are having success or having blessing because you're going to look at it and say, you're getting what I deserve. You're getting what I should have. And we're seeing this more and more in the United States. I think this is a significant shift in worldview. In the past, when we saw someone, we said, how can I get what they have by being as good as they are? What's the path that they took? And and now, it's just basically looking at somebody and saying, well, they shouldn't have that. I should have that. A prime example of that was something that happened here while we were away. So we didn't experience, but we certainly heard about it. What was it called? Occupy Wall Street. Have you ever thought that Occupy Wall Street actually has its roots in tribal thinking? Well, there's that one percent of the people. Isn't that what they said? The one percenters? And they have all the wealth and they need to give some of it to us. We need to have what they have. One person put it like this. The one who occupies, the ones who occupied Wall Street and other places of commerce believed in order to have the stuff they wanted or deserved, they must take it from others who have that stuff. 
and they believe that there is a fixed amount of stuff and energy, so to be happy and healthy, they must take what they want from others by any means available. And their worldview, those who have stuff, have it because, well, they took it from others, so it's legitimate to take it from them. When we see that, we realize that any form of socialism or or progressivism is also an animistic government system. How about fatalism? Fatalism. Let's see, do I get to that yet? I don't think so. Where's that coming up? Oh, yeah, it's coming up, but not yet. P, P, P. (laughs) In fatalism, since the Eastern worldview believes that spirits are in everything and behind everything, what happens to you in life, whether good or bad, is a result of the spirit working. Sometimes you can affect those through hexes or through paying off a zoo or a witch doctor. But but when you hold this belief, a person sees all things happening to him as a result of somebody else's decisions or actions. This not only results in a victim mentality, but also an unwillingness to take responsibility for one's own actions, like your, your children, who always say it's somebody else's fault. How many of you were raised as an only child? It's really the pits, isn't it? You never have a brother or sister to blame it on. You know, you try the imaginary friend trick and it doesn't work. Now, how many times have we heard, though, within the church, not your churches, because I'm sure that you study the Word of God in context, but you hear messages on Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not marked. Whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Boy, I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad I do not reap what I sow. Because I I sow sin, and I sow anger, and sometimes I sow hatred, and I sow distrust, and I sow lack of faith. I don't reap any of that because I reap what Jesus sowed. Because people don't read the next verse. The next verse says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but to the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now, in life... A lot of what we do comes under that sowing and reaping principle. You know, you, you, you go to school and you don't study, you get a bad grade, and you could say, okay, you have reaped what you have sown. On your jobs, if you don't show up on time, you don't do a good job, you get fired. And so we do live under that principle. Uh, even within our families and within our neighborhoods, you, you train your children to do certain things by applauding them and saying you did a good job. You know, you want to reward them. But when it comes to grace, when it comes to grace, you come into the Christian way of life and God says, no, it's not what you do. It's what my son did. It's not not how much you perform. It's what my son did. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? And so with this, we have a tremendous amount of this attitude coming into the church. In Africa, it's rampant. One of the biggest problems I have is I I, I meet people who understand grace at salvation. They're free grace. But they take one step into the Christian way of life, and they're basically lordship. They're trying to do all kinds of works and everything, either to keep saved or or to receive blessing or what have you. And people do that here in the United States also. We do it here. We do it here. Now, again, I'm very glad that I do not reap what I sow. I'm forgiven of a whole lot. 
There's a man by the name of David, Paul David Hewson, who has said some excellent things about this. In the Eastern worldview, in the Far East, they would call what we're talking about karma. You know what goes around comes around. You know, I do good to you and somebody's going to do good to me, but I do bad to you and somebody's going to do bad to me. And at the end of it, it's just how much good I've done and how much bad I've done. But Paul David Hewson, do you all know who he is? Yeah, you do. His name is uh, Bono. And Bono is, is an Irish Catholic Christian rock star and a tremendous humanitarian. People who spend any time in Africa are very thankful to him. Listen to what he said in a Christianity Today interview. He said, you see, at, at the center of our religion is the idea of karma. And yet along comes this idea called grace. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts the consequence of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in trouble if karma was going to be my final judge because I'd be in deep, and I don't know what that word is. Um, maybe you could explain it to me after, after the lesson. It doesn't exclude my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins upon the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend upon my own religiosity. He went on to say, the point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the whole world that we might put out, that, 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 that what we put out did not come back to us, and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humble. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. My question is, if an Irish Catholic rock star with a humanitarian heart can get it, why do so many pastors in our country, they don't get it. They don't get. They they do not understand what this guy understands. You see, we we have to realize that grace does mean grace, and I will tell you that's the only antidote to all this that that Pat and I have found in all the time we've been in Africa is just to teach grace, get people to understand grace because grace cuts so contrary to any African religion. Now, the last thing I want to deal with is syncretism. Syncretism is the combining together of two belief systems to create a new system that is supposedly more acceptable than either of the previous systems. We see this very clearly with voodoo, hoodoo, sanitaria, mariolatry, queen of heaven ministries, and even some messianic Christian ministries. In Africa, it's very common for people to put one foot in ATR, Africa tribal religion, and another foot in into the church. In Liberia, we've had to deal with people who were Zoes, witch doctors, uh, who were also elders in the church. We had to deal with people who were elders in the church and also had girlfriends on the side, which is acceptable in ATR. But I don't think it's acceptable in Christianity. We had to deal with people who allowed their young daughters to undergo female genital mutilation. And we actually did work a little bit, or at least I worked with the people who worked with uh, Samaritan's Purse, UNICEF, uh, they were able to pass a law in Liberia banning female genital mutilation. And by the way, that's the term. It's not female circumcision. That makes it sound acceptable. It's female genital mutilation, FGM. And they banned it. In Liberia, it's illegal to do that to any girl un- under the age of 18. But I'll tell you something about African law. 
And a lot of the third world, the laws they pass, they pass laws. You know why they pass laws? Because they want to look good for us. They want to look good to Obama. They want to look good in the world court. They want to look good everywhere else. But do they enforce them? No. There are hundreds of laws on the books that go are never enforced. This is one of them. This is one of them. I cannot number the time, number the times I was told that I just do not understand. But you know, after being there a few years and really spending a lot of time with Liberian, that, that, that did not cut it anymore. You know, they, they'd start to say to me, well, you don't understand our culture. And I tell them, look, I understand it better than you do. I understand your history. I understand your culture. I understand ATR better than you do. And as missionaries realize we do not promote our culture. You know, I tell them, look, in our culture, there's a lot of things that aren't right. There's uh, women marrying women, men marrying men. There's men and women living together before marriage. There's abortion. Those are all things that are anathema in most African countries. Believe it or not, in Liberia, there was a law that was punishable for like five years in prison for homosexual acts. And uh, the rest of the world didn't like that. But again, they don't enforce it, but at least the law is there. But you see, I tell them, we're not here to promote our culture. We're here to promote God's truth, God's culture. You know, the good news is, is that missionaries who are teaching grace and truth are making a difference. I was uh, the spiritual advisor to about 100 churches over there. And, um, and, and we were able to actually get into their constitution. And I think they will do this, that banned any member from being a part of the secret societies. There it's the Sunday and the Provo Society. And so they were able to do that. In the American church, we see syncretism whenever anybody puts a foot in some strange non-biblical belief and the church. Putting one foot in the Bible and the other foot in the world. And you have things such as Chrislam. How about that one? You know, they, you know, we're going to invite, we're going to get together with, uh, with, with the Muslims and we're going to have a service and isn't it going to be wonderful? I think Chrislam is in October is when they do their big day. Next time it comes around, look in your paper, see where the meetings are. They never, ever meet in a mosque. Because they're not about to let a Christian pastor come into a mosque and teach. But they'll let an imam, they'll anxiously have an imam come into the church and teach. And as we're talking about that, let's not ever forget, they're also involved in sacrifice. Human sacrifice. And so you have that. Then you have psychology. A few years ago... Uh, back about seven years ago, I think that was a the theme of our conference here. And we had some great teaching on, on psychology in the church, the iChurch, because it's all about me. And uh, all the things we have going on in the church that deal with psychology. And then social programs. You know, I, I love that book, Holy Yoga. Isn't that great? Now, I actually met a woman one time who, who told me, I, I told her I was a pastor. She said, oh, I go to church. And I said, what church do you go to? She says, oh, you know, the Methodist church down the road here. I said, oh, that's great. Who's the pastor there? She says, I don't know. And I said, you don't know? She says, no, I, I only go there for the yoga classes. But she told me she goes to church. She does for the yoga classes. You know, journey into freedom, this, that, everything else. But this picture, the one picture of this very white church. Here just amazed me because you cannot read the sign they're holding up. I mean, I mean, I, you don't see any person of color in that whole slide. There they are. They're as white as white can be. But look at the sign they're holding up. Black Lives Matter. 
<laughs> I'll tell you something. That's their church, and they're very proud of the fact that they're involved in that. And so you have social programs. Again, one foot here, one foot there. Then you also have the prosperity gospel. In addition to the animistic name it and claim it formulas that they use, the prosperity gospel, in the prosperity gospel, there is the idea that the man, the pastor, has become the man of God or the Christian shaman. In ATR, you really need to keep your local witch doctor happy because he can curse you. He can also bless you. If somebody comes to him and says, I want you to curse this person, if the witch doctor likes you, he won't do that. And so you really need to keep him happy. He has to have the best hut in the village. He has to have the best food. And if you get a motorbike and the witch doctor doesn't have a motorbike, you have to give the motorbike to him, even though he might never ride it. It will just sit there, but he has to have it. So you have to keep him happy. And finally, I figured this out with with the prosperity gospel. Because I always thought that the people that were going to the church were going to be prospered. No, it's the pastor that's prospered because he's the new witch doctor. He's the new shaman. And so in the prosperity gospel, basically, the witch doctor has been replaced now with the pastor. I do see a similarity. And they got the nicest cars. They got the nicest jets. I know the winter's chaffle people would fly over from Nigeria to Liberia and they'd fly their own jets over. If there were two pastors, they would fly two jets. And then they'd land and they'd have their big limousines and they'd drive into town. And you're talking to people about people that are living on $1 a day. In Nigeria, there are more jets registered to pastors, churches, and religious organizations than are registered to the oil companies. And Nigeria is an OPEC nation. The idea is not that they're going to prosper, but the the pastor is going to prosper. In Calabar, Nigeria, I was in a church, and, and I witnessed the pastor at the end of the church calling people forward and saying, Do you want me to pray for you? You want me to pray? Do you want me to pray for you every day this week? Yes, pastor, praise God, praise God. Well, come over here and give your gifts to the elders. And your gift has to at least be a hundred naira or whatever it was at that time. Do you want me to pray for you twice this week? Yes, well, you come here, you don't have to pay as much. And you come here, and if you want me to only pray for you once a week, well, come here and slip me a, you know, a ten naira and I'll pray for you once a week. Paying people. You know, I thought we fought a reformation for that 500 years ago. And we were supposed to have won. But we're right back to it. But that was in a prosperity gospel church. And so we see that happening. The pastor is the one who is prospering. Syncretism exists wherever we allow any non-biblical, anti-biblical belief to become a part of the church of the one true God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Too often we've allowed culture... And, and traditions that have nothing to do with the church to become more important than the teaching of grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We put one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And really the bottom line of everything that we've examined this afternoon should bring you to one very sure conclusion, and that is that everything I've talked about, all of this in the church today has nothing to do with grace. It is completely antithetical to grace It has nothing to do with grace. If you understand grace, you will realize that we do not deserve, we cannot earn what God has for us. It can only be received 
by grace through faith. So what's the solution to this? In your churches and other churches, the solution is simple. Teach grace. Teach grace. Teach it again. Teach it again. Teach it again. When I went to Africa and Nigeria, in, in November to Nigeria, I went to teach four conferences in four cities. And I took two sets of notes because I knew I was going to be teaching pastors and church leaders. So I had a great set of notes on Bible study methods, hermeneutics, rules of interpretation, you know, the inductive method and all that. But I also had another set of notes about grace, the book of Philippians, and the, I mean the book of Galatians, and really hitting grace heavy. And when I got there, I realized before I taught the one, I really needed to teach grace. So we ended up changing the conferences. We call them the grace conferences. And they were receptive. They were listening. And they were buying into it. And, of course, eventually with those conferences comes up the question, well, if, 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 if what you're teaching is true, uh, then, then do you believe that once we're saved, we're always saved? Yes, and that's another hour we spend together. But you see, they need to understand grace. I've seen this work in Africa. I've seen it work with the many wonderful Liberian pastors and church leaders and also the ones in Nigeria. And next month I'll be going to Zambia and Rwanda, excuse me, Uganda and Rwanda. Uh, I, I, I talked with Dr. Baker last night about, you know, he mentioned he was going to go to, to Kenya, but his leg has given him a problem. Pray for him. And so he asked me, he said, if I can't go in August, would you go for me? And I said, yeah, sure. The opportunity is there. The fields are truly wide under harvest for the teaching of grace, the teaching of truth. But we need to realize that what's happening, whether it's here or over there, what's happening is, is what we see in Mark 7, 8 through 9, that people are neglecting the commandments of God. They're holding to the traditions of men. You are experts in setting aside the commandments of God in order to keep your tradition. Like the man who told me, well, that's not part of our culture. We don't do that. We can't believe that. You know, Even though it's right there in the Bible and I see it, I won't do it. We also realized that when it came to this, Paul wrote, first of all, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions that I delivered to you. So that then, brethren, stand firm and hold, hold fast to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. But you know, what we're dealing with here in this influence that we're experiencing here within our culture and within our churches is not new. We can actually take it back 3,500 years. And, and others at this conference have even mentioned on it. There was Israel. There was the nation in Egypt. They were being incubated. They were there for 430 years. You know, in 430 years, you'll pick up a lot of the culture. You'll pick up a lot of the culture, a lot of the ideas of the people you're living with. Even if you're living in basically a sequestered place, you're still going to be picking up a lot of stuff. So God was going to bring them out. And He was going to bring them out and He was going to give them a nation. It took Him a little bit longer to do that than He had intentioned. But He was going to give them a nation and He gave them a constitution at Mount Sinai. And the land was before him. And, and some of you who had Bruce Walkie for Old Testament, remember, he even taught that they had a flag. I won't tell you what it was. You tell me if you remember what he said. But they even had that. They had two and a half million people. That makes a pretty good sized nation. You know, Liberia is only about three and a half million people. And he was going to bring them into their land. But he had to make sure that they were not going to carry with them the things that they had learned in even in, in Egypt. 
So in Leviticus 18, verses 1 through 5, it said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Cana where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes and my judgments by which you, by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. We can certainly, by way of application, apply that to ourselves today. That we don't want to walk in, in the ways of the Eastern worldview. We don't want to bring that thinking into the church. And when we see it, we want to teach grace and put a stop to it. Well, we're going to take a few time, a few moments for questions now. I think we have time, don't we, Robbie? I talked fast because I, last time I did this at Free Grace, it took me an hour and 20 minutes. But I'm also going to ask as we have questions as, as Robbie's coming down with the mic, I, I want to tell you all a little bit about the ministry that Pat and I have now. We call it, it's part of Grace Gospel Missions, which is our mission organization, but we call it Project 85 because 85% of the pastors in the world have no training whatsoever. And a lot of us, like Drew and VMI and, uh, if you know, Charlie Bing and Grace Notes and, and Crossword Ministries, that we're all doing, we're going out and training pastors. And, and that's what's important. So I've asked uh, John Hentz right here, as much as I kid him, he is actually the chairman of our mission board. And as I said, Herman and I have been on a lot of mission trips. They're going to hand these out. And uh, please take one. And if you have any uh, questions about our ministry, feel free to ask. And especially on the back of it, there's one part that says our, our, our ministry here in the USA, what we're doing here at home. And um, if you have any needs within your church, certainly let us know. I mentioned that. And, and lo and behold, I get to teach for Robbie next December 25th. So thank you for that. So I get to fill the pulpit here. So, any questions, comments? I have one. Go ahead. And this question was asked of me, and the first time I heard it, it came from an old friend of ours. Okay. Steve Dupuy. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Remember? I yeah. remember Steve, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, he was, uh, been, it was after he had left Belarus, mm-hmm. and he was working over in Moscow, and he asked right. this question. I wanted to hear how you answer this in light of the diagram that you set up when you were talking about the show that had the two worldviews mm-hmm. and and uh, that is that, that in Western thinking, Western thinking is often described as linear thinking, and Eastern thinking is cyclical thinking. Right. So you have any comments on that? Because well, I've heard that yeah. a lot, but yeah. I've rarely heard anybody really explain it. Well, I, I would think, and, and I, I, those are terms that I don't commonly use, but as I said, I did spend some time with some guys from... Um, uh, new tribes, and then John Cross, you remember him, he was here at one of our conferences right. a while back. I was just emailing him this morning. Well, I tell you. He's you, watching. <laughs> okay. Hi, John. I, I, I will tell you something. I have to share this with you. I walked into Free Grace Alliance into the meeting room where we were, where we were having this, and John Cross was sitting on the front front row. And I looked at him and I said, no, you need to give this. I mean, that, guy's, that guy knows missions. But we had a great time. But I know that they, that they use those terms a lot more, linear and circular, and, and, uh, and circular. That uh, the only thing I would say is, like with us, and I mentioned this, is that our understanding of God is that God is so expansive, and that that this this world in which we live is not limited. It is 
going on and on, whereas in the in the Eastern worldview, everything kind of turns back against itself. There is a limit on everything, and it's uh, it's karma, it's reincarnation, it's all these things happening yeah. that just kind of keep going around and around like a Buddhist prayer wheel. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. that's what that, yeah that that's what it is, and we get it eschatologically. Because Christianity is the only philosophy of history that drives towards a conclusion exactly. and resolution of everything. Very good. And in yeah. others, there's this this cycle that just keeps going back on itself. Mm-hmm. So Marxism comes along, and it sort of takes a linear view, but then it adds this synthesis, thesis, antithesis, synthesis, which creates a, mm-hmm. a cycle. Anyway, mm-hmm. so yeah. that shows the pagan pagan roots there. Anybody else? Uh, anybody have questions? Um, a couple of things. One thing I had been hearing about, uh, like a deliverance ministry there, was more about just trying to, to deliver them from the current evil spirit and right. getting them back into something. What kind of uh, the other thing is that what kind of influence do uh, dreams or visions have? With I know it's big in Islam. Is it there? Right. Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm really, and you know, I hope I don't get in trouble here saying this, but I. <laughs> I know God does not impart new information through dreams and visions. Flat, period, that's it, dogmatic about it, okay? Uh, I know that, you know, somebody comes up to me and says, well, I got a dream and it's this dream. If you're a believer, forget it. This thing we're hearing about, and Robbie, I'm sure you've heard about it too, about how there's people in Islamic nations that do not have any access to the Word of God, where missionaries are not allowed to go, that all of a sudden are having dreams that, at least point them to Christ. And it's like, wow, that's way beyond what our tradition is. But I, I've been hearing it a lot. Yeah. But there is one thing in Africa, tribal religion, and I didn't touch upon it, there is a strong belief that, that dreams are speaking to you and that dreams are foretelling your future and that uh, dr- dreams you know, do have an effect upon your life. So there is that in, in this uh, traditional religions. So. Yeah, on that issue with you've you've done some thinking on that, haven't you, Charlie? Talking with Jeek about those the the dreams. Do you want to make a comment on that? The dreams that 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 you hear about Muslim converts who say, "Well, I had this dream about Jesus," and and if you haven't run into that, that that's out there. Yeah, from from uh, what I've learned from Pat Kate, who. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, went to Pat. seminary with and so right. on, who's watched this up close. It's more like Acts 10. When, when Cornelius had this vision, the, the vision did not preach the gospel to him. Right. Even. What it did, it directed him or arranged, to, hey, you've got to meet some people I'm going to send to you. That's the nature of the ones that, that I know that, from reputable believers who are Muslim background believers. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that. You mentioned Pat's name. I know I do. I do know him. I was here when he was here at the conference a number of years ago, and that's the same thing I've seen: is that these dreams are not having salvific information, but these dreams are maybe encouraging a person. You know, you need to go to that city. Hmm. Sounds like what happened to Peter, right? You know, you need to go here. You need to go there. So, thank you for that. Any other questions? Uh, yes. Yeah. Hey, good to see you're feeling well. Thanks. Okay. Emphasis on the grace of God and the gospel ministry. I just wanted to ask how you interact with, in terms of sanctification, um, 
A lot of times it seems like there's a, in the grace, in the free grace movement, there's a, a resistance to the notion of obedience, mm-hmm. Christian responsibility. Right. Um, and I think it comes from just not looking closely at the New Testament uh, with mm-hmm. all the many commands. How do right. you uh, interface that with grace in your sure. teaching? Well, if, if you're in, and I've done a lot of study on that word obedience, too, because I think with obedience, we, we can't preach it out of a vacuum. Because, believe me, with your millennials, with your kids... You say obedience, and they got, they have a completely different thought in mind than you do. They think, okay, now now the preacher's going to give me a bunch of rules to follow. The many times the word grace, the word faith, is associated with obedience, and we know that we do, a person. I mean, the, the the Muslim is very obedient. He's obedient out of the flesh, okay, and uh, but but he pray. You know, Muslims pray more than you and I do. Muslims go to the mosque more than you and I go to church. Muslims, chances are they probably give more than you and I give. So they do a lot of things, you know, that, 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 that better than what we do, but, but they do it out of, of, uh, out of obedience. And then there's the American Muslims. You know who they are, don't you? The Mormons. Are they obedient? Oh, listen, there's so many similarities between Islam and Mormonism, you would not believe it. They're very, very similar. But they, they're very obedient. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't drink coffee. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I could not. I mean, that would be so hard for me not to do. I would have to really get up every ounce of my flesh not to do that. But they do all these things. They do them out of the flesh. But, David, the thing is, we have to encourage people, yes, to be obedient, but as a result of faith in the Holy Spirit working within us. It has to be an obedience that's going to come about by the Spirit. Not as you see in a lot of churches where they're telling people to be obedient to get the Spirit. You know, uh, you, you, you look at Ephesians 5.18. The stuff it talks about after that doesn't come before that and says, do this, have a good marriage, have good this, have good that. And maybe if you do it, you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, it begins with that. And it says that by as a result of the filling of the Holy Spirit, do this. We have to be very careful we don't put the horse, the cart before the horse. And so I would say, whenever I teach on obedience, which I do often, but I teach a heavy emphasis on faith, putting faith in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit himself, to work in our lives, trusting him to bring us to that point of obedience. So then, when I am obedient, guess who gets all the glory? God. God. Go ahead. Any other questions? Anybody have any questions about our ministry, Grace Gospel Missions? We, I often tell people, we, were, we, were, we went to Liberia in 2010. We were there. Um, we, as Robbie mentioned, we were there for the first part of Ebola, but we, 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 it was over. We thought it was over and done, so we came home. And while we were at home, a month after we were home, Ebola hit again with a vengeance. And that's when it took off in the middle of July of 2014. We were supposed to go back in the beginning of August. And they said, no, you can't go back. And so uh, we were in exile here in our own country uh, until January. But, you know, when we went back in January, we had already talked about God. We'd asked God for five years there, and that five years was coming up. But when we went back, all the ministries that we had started... And all the ministries we had in place before we left, like six, seven months earlier, they were still going on in the hands of the Liberians that we had trained. And we looked at that and we said, you know something? You don't need us here anymore. Our, our, our mission is accomplished. I kind of remember somebody saying that one time, but we really meant it. And, uh, 
It was accomplished. And so we said, Let, let's get back to what we, we had really intended to do in the first place, which was to headquarter here in the United States and then go out and teach pastors' conferences, grace conferences, teach people. Pat can teach women. And so we're doing that. And so far, the opportunities since we've been back have been tremendous. As I said, we've been in, Niger- in, in Nigeria, Liberia, Cuba, Rwanda, Uganda, maybe Kenya before the end of the year, Zambia, and probably back to Nigeria. And so God has really given us lots of opportunities. But in between packing and unpacking, and while we are here in the United States, if any of you have any idea about doing something, let me know. We, are, we want to make ourselves a help and to, the, to the pastors that uh, we've known for so many years and also to the local church. Anything else? We got one question yes. Here. Yes, sir. Uh, something you said was in, with the Eastern thinking, they have the spirits at the center, mm-hmm. and so they're victims, and they look for the to solve problems outside themselves. And, right. and we have the spirit ourselves at the center, and so when we have a problem, we look to fix ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but could you differentiate? We also teach that uh, Christ is at the center. So, you know, how would that be different? Oh, about Christ and the Holy Spirit being at the center? You mean, no, the, you know, we, we, we have Christ in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. You know, both are God. God. God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father. And so I think we get in a little bit of a, I think we get a little nitpicking when we start trying to differentiate between the two. You know, I've talked to some people about the spiritual life, and I say put, put, put faith in the Holy Spirit. And they say, oh, no, you have to put faith in, faith in the Son of God. Uh, no, let's just put faith in God. You know, let's not be nitpicky over words. If not, we'll end up like uh, a lot of these other religious kooks. 